0: This is Brad Cleveland, author of Leading the Customer Experience, How to Chart a Course and Deliver Outstanding Results, and you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, and
1: thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a Specific marketing or sales book, or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. I do this podcast to help me and my listeners keep up with the latest ideas that matter most in the quickly changing and somewhat overwhelming world of modern marketing and sales. My day job is running a marketing agency that helps manufacturers and industrial companies grow their revenue. To learn more about the problems we solve and how we do it, visit salesartillery.com. All right, enough yakking. Let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome Brad Cleveland to talk about his book, Leading the Customer Experience, How to Chart a Course and Deliver Outstanding Results, published by Kogan Page. Brad Cleveland is known globally as one of today's foremost experts in customer strategy and management. A sought-after consultant and speaker, he has worked in 45 of the 50 U.S. states and over 60 countries, and his clients have included many of today's service leaders like Apple, American Express, and AT&T. And those are just some of the A's on his client list. He's also advised governments in the United States, Australia, and Canada. Brad's books and articles have been translated into over a dozen languages, and he is an instructor for LinkedIn Learning with featured courses on customer strategy and management, customer service leadership, and customer experience Leadership. He has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Inc. Magazine, Forbes, U.S. News and World Report, CNN Money, the Los Angeles Times, Washington Post, Financial Times, and New York Times, as well as on major television networks like PBS, CNBC, Fox, MSNBC, and others. He's also been on NPR's All Things Considered. Brad was a founding member and former CEO of the International Customer Management Institute, ICMI, now part of London-based Informa, PLC. And, interesting facts, he has a pilot's license. He once flew on the Concorde from London to New York, and he read the draft version of this book, out loud to his wife and daughter for ten hours straight while on a road trip. Brad, congratulations on leading the customer experience, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. That was my my whole life just flashed before my eyes. There. Well, Thank
1: you. yes. Well, it's a fantastic book, and uh, hats off to your lovely wife and and daughter for. Uh, Uh, listening to you and uh, giving you feedback. Uh, I can only imagine that if I tried to, if I wrote a book and tried to read it to my daughter and wife while they were driving for 10 hours, it would probably go well. But the first thing they'd say is, can we put on headphones?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. This, this was a road trip. They were a captive audience. Um, I, I, um, Persuaded them somehow to to listen to the whole darn thing, and they they gave me really great feedback. So oh, good. And My daughter do- my daughter is nineteen years old, so getting good feedback from a teenager, and and she really had some great great input. So that was that was a great memory from this project. Well,
1: super super. Well, it was very uh, readable. <laughs> and I also I have to know because I'm a, a book nerd. This is published by Cogan Page, and I believe they're based in London, and. I've had Kogan Page books on before, and in the past, even for American authors, they would have English spelling of words, you know, not yeah, like the American yeah. spelling. And I noticed in yours, that wasn't the case. So, if you're the one that got them to change, well played, good sir.
0: Well, thank you. It's it's my first book with them, and they've been terrific to work with. So, um, they, they were really great about Keeping it conversational, and, uh-huh. yeah. American spelling—I didn't even think about that. But that's, that's well, cool. maybe
1: somebody else convincing because I've I've read uh, you know, several of their books and even from American authors, and they had British spellings. And I I would tease the American <laughs> authors about that. They yeah. that's how they wanted to do it. That's what they're used to doing. So what are you going to do now? I noticed in your bio that you divide your time between Sun Valley, Idaho, and San Diego, California, and you're joining us today from. A beautiful Sun Valley, Idaho. But uh, as it relates to San Diego, the, the question then becomes: Do you know Ron Burgundy?
0: <laughs> I, I've not had the privilege of meeting Ron yet. No. Oh
1: wow. Well, you know that would you know it's a it's a stretch goal. You know something for your <laughs> for your bucket list. But uh, you know there's a few other questions I have for uh, Brad Cleveland. I, I polled listeners beforehand. You know about what I I should ask you and. The, the questions the listeners provided were a little surprising. They, they, they want to know, uh, like, are you related to the U.S. President Grover Cleveland? <laughs> we,
0: we've, we've tried to trace that back, and it, it's a maybe. I'm going to go with it.
1: Maybe. Okay, good. And are you, you're not from Cleveland, Ohio, are you?
0: No, I've, I've been to Cleveland twice. I've got to tell you a real quick story. The, the last time I was there— I had an early morning flight, so I'm going through uh, security, you know, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, and there was a, a gentleman checking ID, and uh, he, he looked like Denzel Washington, um, and and he's he's checking my license, looking at me. I said, isn't this great up Cleveland, standing here in Cleveland? And he steps back a step, and turns his badge around, and he was Cleveland. Gave me knuckles, my brother. Oh, so wow. I, they're they're they're… Cleveland's in Cleveland, and I I met <laughs> one of them.
1: Yeah, I bet he gets his drinks half price. <laughs> I bet he does. Yeah. So I bet uh, he does. so, but and I guess you're you're a fan of the Cleveland Browns.
0: I like the Browns. Um, we lived 20 years. I don't know if this is going to help the podcast at all. Should, well, probably not. But the listeners want to know. We we lived in Maryland for 20 years. I'm a Ravens fan. Oh, and, and Browns fans don't love. <laughs> The right. whole Ravens story, yeah, yeah, you know they we we took their team back in the day, and yeah, so there's no love loss there but I, I do i I like the browns they even though they're really competitive um in in that in that end of the league um well, like good. the ravens um we we're in sun Valley, and you know, I like the forty ers and the Seahawks I, uh-huh. I, I I suppose I need to narrow things down a bit.
1: Well, no. I just I just had to ask that. You know, I've got even more questions about Cleveland, but I'm I'm just not gonna ask them because I think by now people, you know, if they don't remember much for this interview, they're gonna remember your name. And and that's <laughs> important. So the book was endorsed by past marketing book podcast guest, uh, Seth Godin. Uh, He wrote, uh, sooner or later, every successful business realizes that customer experience is the experience that really matters. Brad's book lays out the roadmap for any leader who wants to make a difference for the customers they serve. And I was also delighted to see you mentioned in your book a couple of times, uh, Jean Bliss, who's been on the show uh, twice uh, last time for her book, Would You Do That to Your Mother? (laughs) Which is such a great great uh, title for a customer experience book. Also, the other thing I want to mention that I don't see in all the books is that you included a very helpful glossary of acronyms, abbreviations, and definitions. And you know, the title of the book is Leading the Customer Experience, and I want to thank you, Brad Cleveland, for not putting one of those acronyms in the title. <laughs> <laughs> right. I always, I die a little bit inside whenever I see an author puts an acronym and a title. Uh, sometimes it's okay, but sometimes it's, they're assuming that people know what that means. Uh, so yeah. I, I even saw one, I think uh, a couple years ago that had CX in the title. And I thought,
0: oh, I'm not sure that's helping, but maybe, yeah,
1: who knows? Boy, who knows? I,
0: I agree with you on that. And I, I, I use CX here and there in the book, but it's so far in, and you've seen customer experience so often by then that I, I hope I can get away with it. I am I am so with you on acronyms. Right.
1: Well, yes. evidently, because you were good enough to include them back there, and I read through them and I thought, didn't know that one, didn't know that one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there you go. So, you know, and, here, and I'm a guy that reads a bunch of these books. The foreword was by Scott McCain, and I am such a Scott McCain fan. I interviewed him about his book Iconic, and then when I did that limited time series in 2020 called Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails, he was the very first guest. So that's fantastic. Scott's
0: Scott's terrific. Yeah, love bouncing things off of him and just yeah, great always always great idea. And you mentioned Gene and, and Seth and others. They just a really great community day learn from and share with, and see, it's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Let me just quote from the forward here by Scott McKay. You know, it's a short one. I may, I'm going to read the whole thing. It's that good. He writes, "...Finally, previously, those of us who are passionate practitioners of the customer experience had to choose between two types of book on our favorite subject." As you probably know, one typically features folksy anecdotal stories about the difference that CX can make to a business and its team. The others are research based tomes that attempt, through the prodigious use of statistics, to quantify the value that organizations acquire from investing in CX. There's absolutely nothing wrong with either approach. In fact, I'm guilty of writing a few of the former, and I love digging into the gravity of the latter. However, until now, it was my opinion that no book captured both sides of the important impact. an organization can realize by creating and delivering an extraordinary customer experience. The anecdotal books are easily critiqued for not proving their case with enough evidence required for organizational investment and commitment. The other books frequently aren't presented in a manner that is accessible and therefore applicable to the busy executive or frontline manager. Why do I say finally? (laughs) Because what Brad Cleveland has done is to deliver an engaging narrative based upon the exceptional depth of his own remarkable experiences. Plus, he reveals important research that provides the statistical verification required to prove his assertions on the customer experience. And he does so with a warm, engaging style that is easy to understand, combined with a detailed step-by-step plan. That every leader can execute to gain a competitive advantage through extraordinary customer experiences. This is not just a book on the customer experience. It's also akin to a user's manual on how you can enhance the lifetime value of your customers while you expand the number of referrals your current customers provide. You'll want to read this book now. And I will wager you will pull it off the shelf and refer to it frequently as you execute your CX strategy. And it goes on a bit more than that, but I'm going to stop there. And I want to jump to something you wrote on page two, and you write, I'm writing this book because there's never been a greater need for a focus on customer experience. As we continue to work through unprecedented economic turbulence, there's never before been a time when it's more important for our efforts to bear fruit. Customer experience must be inviting and inclusive. It has to be based on principles that work, not cookie-cutter prescriptions that too often fail. And it has to work for your organization, your customers, your unique brand it is principled leadership that leads to success, not catching the wave of the latest program or metrics. Now, I want to go on, though. You have a prediction here. I want you to explain, and this is surprising for someone who's written a book that has the words customer experience in the title. <laughs> Why do you argue that the term customer experience will maybe
0: ultimately fade? That's a really good question. And you know, I, I maybe I'm dating myself a little bit here, but you know, three decades of bouncing around in this space. You know, management by objectives that that came along and that was that was huge. And total quality management, uh-huh. um, business process reengineering, customer rel- CRM, customer relationship management. You know, the, all the quality terms, lean and uh, Six Sigma, customer success, and and these movements they they fade over time and i I think what happens is they eventually collapse into their own weight you know everyone jumps in and uses them for this and that and after a while they they just don't mean much they're they're just so broadly um used and and really misused i suppose in a lot of ways and so yeah i don't think the term's going to be around i know the principles are going to live on um and i can see the principles through all of these movements, you know, the ones that that really have staying power. So, yeah, someday we won't we won't be using the term customer experience, but something new will come along and it will capture everybody's fancy and and we'll jump on that bandwagon for a while.
1: Yeah, it seems like it might become more baked into management. Uh, it's sort of like in marketing world, you hear some people, content marketing experts, who say that that term is probably going to be used less and less because it becomes much more a part of. Marketing, uh, or the word digital marketing, you know that's uh, you could argue that's a bit of a dated term because yeah, um, it's sort of like again baked into it. Let's talk about a couple of definitions, though, for folks who are uh, less familiar with it or maybe confused. You write that customer experience is far broader than customer service. So, can you explain? The difference for someone who you know possibly is saying, "Well, we have customer service, we have a call center. What, what what is he talking about?"
0: Yeah, customer customer experience is everything. It's products and services and processes and 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 our brand promise, the marketing that we're doing, the word of mouth that we're getting. It, it's it's everything that would impact someone's. Perception about who we are and what we do. Um, so, customer service is a key part of it, and and you'll you'll often hear those in customer service saying we want to provide a great experience, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's that is that part of delivering customer experience, but but customer experience is a subset of. Excuse me, customer service is a subset of, of customer experience, which is everything.
1: Right. It always brings to mind uh, the quote from Maya Angelou about people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel.
0: <laughs> not that a great quote? I, oh, I use that a lot. That, I love that it. That just um, really hit the mark. Yeah.
1: You know, let's touch on that just a little bit more because on um, page 14, you talk about most customer experience definitions refer to touch points and that, Customer experience is the sum of all the touch points customers have with your organization. As you just said, you don't necessarily disagree, but on the next page, you have a few things that that might help people better understand. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about the the things that go into it, just uh, besides touch points, which are important?
0: Yeah, I I use a fairly simple definition, um, really three. Three things, everything a customer hears about your organization. So they can be driving down the road and see a billboard. They can be talking to a neighbor across the fence. They can be reading um, a, a product review or something. Anything they hear about you, every interaction they have with you and your products and services, Mm-hmm. You know, from unpacking the box to plugging it in to, you know, w- w- whatever it is we're, we're talking about. And ultimately, how they feel about you, how they feel about your organization. The Maya Angelou, you know, quote comes into play. Ultimately, it all adds up to h- how do they feel about us? And the, the, that is the ultimate, and it's very hard to measure in a survey, but that is the ultimate I believe, um, indication of, of how we're doing. What, what, what feelings do we conjure up when they see our brand?
1: Yes, yes. And at, towards the end of the book, if we have time, I want to talk about the, some of the key metrics. Uh, you refer to them as the six pack. And, you know, of course, you had me at six packs. So, uh, but, <laughs> but we'll explain what that means in just a few minutes. A couple other things that were very high level, which I don't know, made me think of the C suite. <laughs> you say customer experience is often worse than leaders know. <laughs> Explain yeah. what you mean there.
0: Yeah, there's there's what um, some call the iceberg effect, and, and that's a great way to describe it. Where we hear um, some of what's happening, but there's a whole bunch of things under the surface that we're that we're not hearing. So you can you can do research and find out for every you know for every complaint, every every bit of input you get from a customer. Um, you know, praise, complaint, whatever it is, there's a whole bunch of, of others you aren't hearing from. And and just think of surveys, you know, we surveys are just one way to listen to customers, but we're also over-surveyed. How many do we fill out? You know, how many do we ignore?
1: <laughs> Almost all of them, for, in my right? case. No, well, it's true. You said they're
0: over-surveyed. Yeah. So we hear good things and, and sometimes not good things from customers need to know that, Represents a, a whole bunch of others who we who we aren't hearing from.
1: Yeah, and actually, there was one other thing that, on a high level, you you write the returns on improving customer experience are better than many leaders realize. What what are the expectations out there that people are underestimating
0: in terms of the returns yeah. on, on customer experience? Oh, they're they're just um, if you put a pencil to them, you know, customer loyalty and they the benefits from that brand promotion you know we're we're really creating our most powerful sales force Mm -hmm. when when we've got customers talking about us operational improvements that that doesn't often come up in these sorts of conversations where we're talking about customer experience and yeah the impact on customers and repeat business and loyalty and value over time but to, to deliver a great experience, you've got to clean up your operation. You've got to have processes right. that are working. It'll actually and,
1: make your company run better, it, it,
0: right? And 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 it's a huge win every day. Yeah. Um, and product and service innovation is inherent to customer experience. Employee engagement. Employee engagement is huge. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and you know they're they're right in the middle of customer experience and. F- for every every interaction our customers have with us, they're they're, they're with us every day, and <laughs> they want to be part of something successful. So so that's a huge win. And think of think a turnover and engagement and some of the ways we can measure that. We go through some of these uh, calculations in chapter nine, um, but you know, the, the the returns are fantastic.
1: Yeah, there's a real halo effect. Moving on, you write that customer experience calls for seismic shifts in your company culture, and you know you're 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 definitely going to bang into the status quo. But and this is a little alarming: estimates of seventy-five to ninety-three percent of customer experience initiatives fail. <laughs> what, why, and what are some of the common pitfalls?
0: Yeah, and and there's. <laughs> there's a question mark to these stats and you'll, you'll find them readily <laughs> that, that that's, that's intriguing to me. How can customer experience fail? I, I mean, what, what's our alternative not delivering customer experience? You know, that, that just doesn't, it doesn't work. So, but it's true. Um, many customer experience initiatives are not living up to expectations. And, and I think there's a whole bunch of, of reasons, but starting from what is it and are we capturing hearts and minds and just a quick story on that, Um, I I was with an organization just before COVID tumbled the the world, so it was an in-person event and I was a speaker that morning, but they they had different speakers through the day and did a really nice job of creating a one-day event for a cross-section of employees and it was really building up to introducing their customer experience initiative and some of the things that they, they really wanted to, to push and they had two speakers near the end of the day go through you know a bunch of powerpoint slides and this was a like 75 minute presentation something like that and they went through terms and acronyms and and metrics and you know all sorts of things related to customer experience and they did a nice job it was a lot of information um i i, I really didn't think much about it other than you know they're they're laying out a lot of information around customer experience that's for sure so they wrapped up and there was a coffee break and i'm near the back of the room and so i'm one of the first out the door and i could hear two people behind me um sort of whispering to each other did did you get all of that and the other responded not not much just hope it doesn't add much work because we are really swamped right now (laughs) and i'm thinking oh no you know they 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 really missed the opportunity in, in laying out their the specifics of their program to to capture hearts and minds, mm-hmm. so we've got a we, we've got to start there. Everybody's got to be on board with what customer experience is and what our vision is and what we're going to do, and then that's got to play out in in our operations. and And to the degree it doesn't, you, you see these numbers that you know these these initiatives are, are failing. There's no reason in my observation, my experience is there's no reason it has to fail, but we've got to, and, and, and that's really my hope with this book, just lay laying things out step by step. How do we ensure it's it's just not going to fail? You know, we're going yeah. to create a vision. We're going to put the processes and support in place to support it. And it's, it's just not going to fail. We're not going to let that happen.
1: Yes. And uh, buy-in at all levels is is really important. And, and speaking of buy-in, like those employees you were just Uh, talking about, it was a very interesting quote on uh, page 32. Sorry, Brad, you got me all choked up here. No worries. And it was uh, the late Jack Welch, the longtime CEO of GE, General Electric. He was quoted as saying, there are only three measurements that tell you nearly everything you need to know about your organization's overall performance. Employee engagement, customer satisfaction, And cash flow. (laughs) I thought (laughs) that was great in its simplicity, but there's a reason why if you're going to do customer experience, you actually don't want to start with your customers. Um, You you go on to write that your best laid plans for customer experience go nowhere (laughs) without invested, dedicated employees. And then if you're just beginning your customer experience journey, it's time to get comfortable with another experience, employee experience. So... Again, back to the definitions. What is employee uh, engagement? Because it's a term most of us frequently hear and use, but what does it mean exactly? What does it mean to Brad Cleveland?
0: Yeah, I define it very simply as the, the enthusiasm or emotional commitment that an employee has to the organization and the work that that they do. And, and this may sound a bit corny, but I can walk into an organization, you can see it in, in, in their eyes. You know, if, if they're if they're switched on, if they really are committed and and they're enthusiastic about what the organization's doing and their role in it, you, you can see it. It is not hard to, <laughs> not hard to detect. You, you can see when it doesn't, you know, when, when, when they're not engaged as well, Oh, yeah. but it's huge. This is a foundational issue. You know, this is in chapter two in the book. Um, it, we, we've got to, as you say, start there. Yeah. Got to get our employees on board.
1: And you write about this Gallup, employee engagement survey which I was not familiar with and I looked it up and I'm going to include a link to it at this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com it's great it's it's. I appreciate you mentioning that it's just like a great one of the many great starting points you outline in your book. Okay, so there's a whole chapter on getting employees engaged. It's almost like, to quote the Monopoly game, do not pass go, do not collect $200. <laughs> if you don't have the employees uh, part in place, <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to be part of that 75 to 93% that aren't uh, uh, initiatives that aren't really going to work. But let's go on to uh, a couple other the big concepts in the book. Most companies are sitting on a potential goldmine of customer feedback, but they... You know, they don't necessarily know how to harness it. And a great line in the book is you write that feedback from customers and employees is like oxygen. You and your organization must have it to survive. As it relates to customer feedback, though, I wanted to ask you to share the story that is at the beginning of Chapter 3. I think it's page 57, um, if you need to refresh your your memory, about this really successful large business-to-business company That provides uh, human resources and payroll services, I think it was, that you were working with. And you were there with their management and doing a presentation. Take it from there. Tell us what happened. (laughs) It was a great story to start the chapter
0: with. That was so interesting. So... So their executive team, I had the privilege of doing some work with their executive team and we're in a a conference room and and, and they sensed that not all was right. They're they're seeing some downward trends and customer sat scores and some different things they were looking at. And overall things seemed to be going well, but but they knew it it wasn't all quite right um, and they, and they were concerned with some isolated service delivery problems they were hearing about so we started kicking this around and one of the topics that came up was metrics and they wanted to take a look look at what they were measuring what those indicators were telling them and one of the one of the attendees brought up social media and are we measuring what's happening there and doing much with it so I, I my laptops in the front of the room and I just toggled over to I think we started with their Facebook page, and and I, I just and did you know, did you know what what you were going to find? Or no, you just, you I, were... I hadn't looked at it. No, oh, at that okay. point, this is a very organic conversation in their boardroom. So my laptop's um, uh, beaming to the, the front of the room, and I went to their Facebook page, and I <laughs> I hear this collective collective gasp, and I had to turn around so I could see it on the on the big screen. You know what what's What what are they seeing? And and alongside with these marketing messages, um, there was a frustrated customer who had posted repeatedly, just message after message about password reset problems he was having. And his um, his updates, if you want to call them that, were in all caps, um, so he's yelling um, uh, electronically. And and he he wrote this scathing summary of uh, of his experience and detailed his frustrations of, you know, not not being able to go through what should be a super simple process and he couldn't reach anyone mm-hmm. and no one had a- acknowledged or responded. So this is right on their Facebook page. Um, and, and I went over to Twitter and that w- that was even worse. Oh. And, and and we're like, my goodness, and, and in the t- they're they're looking around at each other, and, and there's kind of this awkward silence. <laughs> the one attendee just acknowledges it. He's like, well, well, that's awkward. <laughs> and we, we we had a good. Good, good, kind of chuckle, but but like, why is this happening? Let's let's and, and these rapid fire questions around the room. You know, why was the system locking him out? Why couldn't he get help? Why weren't we monitoring this po- these posts? Why wasn't marketing monitoring? Well, should should it be marketing? Should it be customer service? Should uh-huh. it be some group we set up for this? You know, you can imagine what this what this discussion looked like as they're as they're firing these questions away. And and it was very healthy. And and you know, over over the next six months this team rolled up their sleeves. They got to work. They beefed up their ability to monitor and respond through these social channels. They made system improvements so the problem didn't happen that that problem didn't happen in the first place more importantly they they improved the way they gauged customer experience so you know, they dropped a, they, they were reporting on all sorts of things you, in in a lot of organizations that i run into you can cover a small parking lot with the reports they're producing mm-hmm. and a lot of them just they they were just not doing much with them so they 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 really cleaned house and 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 really got down to those things they absolutely had to see and 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 watch as an executive team and they ended up developing a very wisely a a, a, a tiered approach to, to to some of the reporting so they had high level reports and you could drill down to that at the department level and individual role level uh, but they they just weren't seeing some of the things they should have been seeing from. a mm-hmm. You know, customer experience perspective.
1: Well, in the book, you talk about the most successful companies that customer experience have a strain of humility. And I think that's pretty true for any kind of successful leadership. And it sounds like they had that to begin with. They wanted to fix it. I, they had Brad Cleveland in the room. Obviously, <laughs> they, they were wondering about you know some of these things, and then they took action. So it is, I would hope they weren't yeah. – Firing people and yelling at no. them, they were saying, what's missing? Let's look at that. To the system. contrary. Yeah. They, that,
0: that, that's exactly right. And they were they like, this is on us. I mean, we're, we're yeah. supposed to be leading this organization. They, they did bring a, a you know, a, a humility into it, which is, as you point out, is so essential for any of us and any team, you know, what, there, there are always things that we need to be learning and improving on. And it's, it's a journey, not a destination so they they did have the 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 humility and the and the fortitude to go fix it. Then um, look, it is what it is, but let's roll up our sleeves and, and get to work here. Yeah, and
1: you know, not everyone is as lucky as the host of the marketing book podcast or Brad Cleveland to have had a, a teenage daughter at one time uh, <laughs> to, to learn really about humility. So, <laughs> right, right. so for those who haven't, well, again, another definition, uh, <laughs> explain what the term voice of the customer means. Cause there is quite a, a, a bit of that. And naturally in your book, you go into great detail saying, here's the, here's, here's how you can start to do it. Here's how you can put this together.
0: Yeah, vo- voice of the customer is, um, it has to be comprehensive. So it, it, it's how, it's the processes, it's the channels, it's all the ways that we listen to customers, but but it's, it goes way beyond surveys, and, and there's so many ways mm. that we can and should be listening to them and pulling in all of those sources, funneling it into a central repository where we can really hear even the smallest, quietest voices that might be the most important in terms of innovation and pointing things out that we really need to, to understand. So voice of the customer goes way beyond you know the, the sort of survey program that, that many have thought of it as in the past. It's It's got to be comprehensive, and it needs to include voice of the uh, employee as yes. well. Because they're they're seeing so much um, in their you know, in their day to day work that it, it, we really need to have that as a part of our voice of the customer listening program.
1: Yeah, I have to chuckle because in your book and then a few others that I've had on uh, about customer experience, they, they explain you know if you would just listen to your employees, <laughs> you're going to do so well. They know a great place so to much. Start. Yeah, they know they're real. They know. A lot more about the customer frustration and pain points if you bother to uh, ask them. So,
0: yeah, yeah. very, very important. And I'll tell you what—you'll, you'll hear the, many of the same things from customers and employees. They're, they're both seeing <laughs> and living out the same problems and, and frustrations and opportunities. Yes, big, so when big you opportunities. See those, when you see that input align, you know it's a priority.
1: Yeah, there is. In your book on page 79, again, this is so helpful. You've got this 11-point uh, self-assessment. You can determine how mature your approach is to customer feedback and I've actually taken a picture of this page, and I'm going to include it on your on the uh, this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. dot uh, com it's really good like in other words it's yes or no, and of course you don't have to be perfect, but you can start to go through this and say like if you had presented this to those people at that company, they might have said, ooh wait a minute we're, we're not doing all these things this is a good this is a good start so it's very very helpful okay, so we've talked about customer experience and customer service. Let's talk a bit about how to leverage your existing customer service, because you write that, you know, truth be told, many organizations don't get nearly the returns they could from their investments in customer service, and that often some misguided perspectives are at work, and specifically, (laughs) why are you worried about organizations that have already largely bought into the need to provide good service? I I was surprised by that.
0: Well, as you point out, there's so much more that we can often go after and leverage. Customer service is such a gold mine. So I always think of, of three levels of value and we, we build these out in the book and I'll be super brief here. But a first is efficiency. You know, we're going to have customer service issues come up. It's going to happen in any organization. So are we efficient in handling them? And, and think of prevention, think of, you know, self-service and the ability for someone to jump online and get what they need quickly, all, all those sorts of things. And having the right person when that's necessary, all of that's a part of efficiency. And the second level is customer loyalty. Um, and the idea is if we do such a good job with service, that they say, wow, thank you. I know you've got our my, my back. That's a win. And, and surveys show that Customers are even more loyal in many cases when they have a problem that it's easily and effectively resolved than if they didn't have a problem in the first place. So that's that's encouraging. There are going to be glitches. There are going to be things that we need to address, and 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 we've got a real opportunity to show what we're made of. But there's a third level, and that's where the opportunity really is that we we often miss, and that's. What are we learning in the course of, of handling service interactions that we can use across the board, you know, in marketing messaging, in in mm-hmm. product development, and the, the little glitches that, that, you know, is it the red wire or the green wire? They're, they're plugging things in that we can, you know, improve in a user manual or put a YouTube video out there on. There's so many There's so many ways the organization can benefit Mm -hmm. when we share this insight from, you know, this, this is so much more powerful than surveys because these are real customers interact, you know, contacting us generally with real live challenges and suggestions and ideas and problems. And wow, it's powerful. So if we capture that and share it across the organization, you'll come up with an effective process for for really embedding that into our research and development what are we learning about how we can improve it's so powerful
1: yes and there's uh one section of the book where you say all right let's there's a lot of things you can do but you talk about the most damaging customer service frustrations and there are <laughs> there are five and this kind of made my blood boil just because reading a book like this you know makes it even more frustrating because I I know what these companies should be doing where where I'm a customer. But the first one is, don't make me wait. And there's (laughs) there's large sections here. And the second one is, make it easy for me to find help.
0: (laughs) Right. And and again, this is profound insight. Yeah,
1: (laughs) no, but you've got, got all the research in here. And then the third one is, provide knowledgeable and friendly customer service staff and the fourth is create customer friendly policies and processes and the fifth i want you to talk about
0: know who i am <laughs> what do yeah. you mean yeah you don't want to have to start over oh. and, and too often we feel like we're interacting with different companies you know when we when we have different issues come up or when we move out of the buying process and into the we need some help support process and um, it's, it's so there for the taking to create a seamless experience. If we do our homework and you know, put the right systems and processes in place, um, so that, that our customers feel like we, we, they, they know that we know who they are, that we've got their, their account history. You know, the JetBlue is, is in, involved in a big process, in a big project right now to, I uh, put, Customer history in any employee's hands when they need it, you know, in the right kind of context and privacy and security and all that, well in place. But um, if I'm if I'm working a flight, if I'm in customer service, um, if I'm if I'm behind the counter in the airport, you know, I can pull up what what that customer's been through, so they don't have to start over. And that's just one organization, one example of uh, making that a priority. And and it's, it's so powerful when we do.
1: Oh, yes, so again, another word I wasn't familiar with, but I was wondering if you could explain what is a customer access strategy, and
0: why is it really a requirement in your opinion? Yes, that's a really great question, and one that any organization needs to needs to be addressing. You can be a a two person flower shop, you can be a you know, a government agency at, at the local or state level with a few hundred employees. You can be a multinational um, corporation with, with tens of thousands of employees. You need a customer access strategy. And it's simply, um, it, there, there are 10 components that we go through in the book. And just to mention a few, how, who who are your customers? How, how do you segment them? So when they need help, when they need to interact with you, um, how, how are those segments playing out? Um, if you're an insurance company, there's business customers and there's uh, consumers and there's states and state licensing involved, and there's different insurance products you have from homeowners to you know auto, um, other other policies. So how are you defining your customer segments, and then how would they interact with you? Where do they go? What what number do they dial? What website do, do, do they go to? What what search terms? Will they likely be using when they need help? So uh, just going through these things methodically, and then and then and it's, how do they um, want to contact you? Is yeah, how do they it? want to contact you? Mm-hmm. What choices make sense? And then where do those contacts go? Um, from self-service systems to you know to to uh, people where where that makes sense uh, the, the, um, kind of human to human interactions that are, that are still so important where, where we need them. And just it, a customer access strategy is thinking through all of those components so that we know, Hey, here's, here's who our customer base is. Here's how we're defining that. And here's how they want to interact with us. And we're enabling them to interact with us. So it's putting thought into, you know, into something we all run into as customers. Oh no, I've got a I've got a problem, or I've got a question, or I've got something I need help with. What do I do? And it usually starts with search, and and it can it, you know go from there. In some cases, really well, or or we could just get into this labyrinth of you know challenges, trying to get through and trying to get to the right place.
1: Yeah, I recently ordered something from Amazon, some earbuds, and uh, the package arrived. And it had the box, but the Product had been taken out.
0: <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I just <can't laughs> say I've ever had that happen. Yeah,
1: it was a new one for me, and so I I, I had a little you know. And they, Amazon they try to do this well, but it was like I I couldn't get through to say look the the package arrived, but it didn't have the product in it, and so then they finally you know through all the automation said please please return it, and I just gave up and said all right. So I I took the the box <laughs> that was empty to begin with. To the UPS store, they sent it back, and then I, you know, and then it was like Amazon was like, "Hey, where are the earbuds?" <laughs> <laughs> right. I finally had to get a human involved, and they were very nice about it. But it was like, oh man, this is not one of the eventualities that I guess they had planned for on the drop-down menu. So, at yeah. any rate, well, let's go back in time just a bit and talk about the younger version of Brad Cleveland. You write at the beginning of chapter five, which was you write, "I'll admit." In my earlier years, I put a lot of emphasis on logic and data. Just prove what you need to do. Make your case and back it up with data. (laughs) Boom. Case closed. I've since discovered that it doesn't usually work like that. (laughs) Right. So, Brad Cleveland, thank you for that honest admission. And explain why and how storytelling is such an important part of uh, customer experience.
0: Yeah, we 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 want to bring the data we have to bring the data and and logic behind all of this to life. And and yeah, in, in my younger days, it's like prove your point, you got it, you're there. And it just it, it didn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. We've got to put we've got to put faces to this. We've, we've got to put real human experiences to to on what we're seeing in our numbers and what we're, where we're seeing process improvement opportunities so telling um, real so you, w- with reports for example you can you can include real examples of real customers and and what they ran into um, and they can be success stories they can be you know tragedies that, that we need to address um, some combination but but actually Telling a, a real story goes so far yeah. and we love, for some reason, we're wired up to love stories and I, I've just seen the importance of, and, and the best leaders, um, the, the most effective leaders I've worked with across a lot of different types of organizations, they look at the data, uh, but, they, but they, they, they wrap it in a compelling narrative. They, they use stories to get the point across.
1: Yeah, let me just quote. In the Middle Ages, storytellers, often called troubadours, were honored members of royal courts. They were expected to know everything from noteworthy historical tales to healing remedies to court gossip. Few few others had the ability to influence the thoughts and behaviors of people like the resident storyteller. And then you go on to write, I've seen how successful customer experience leaders do much the same. And there's the whole chapter in there, but the one thing I really want to zero in on is – Journey mapping, journey mapping. Again, maybe, maybe another definition word, but you write that uh, journey maps are so popular that some equate customer experience management to simply journey mapping. Uh, why is that not accurate? And Brad Cleveland, what the heck is a journey map?
0: Yeah, a journey what map is one way to, to illustrate what's happening to customers as they um, traverse the different parts of our organization from a pre-sale um, you know, kicking the tires phase through the purchasing process, through delivery and customer support. We can be, we can be talking about anything, any from flowers to software to you know a, 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 an appliance or a, a city water system. If you're B two B, you know, just anything. It, you can journey map it and see how how do we come across? How are we um, from an experience perspective? From 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 the vantage point of our customers and what they're going through, and it's so powerful. But now, the, the thing we have to avoid is getting into internal operational issues when we create journey maps. We really want this to be the customer's perspective. Yes. What yes. do they run into? Um, what are what are they experiencing? And seeing that, and 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 seeing that from across functional departments, um, and really agreeing on, you know, here's how we want that experience to. To, to, to work for them, that, that is so, um, it's fun and it's, it's so uh, important. Journey maps aren't the totality of customer experience because they're just journey maps. You know, now we have to do something. Now we have to break down the barriers. Now we have to create a seamless experience for them. But but a journey map is a great tool to really understand what their you know, what their journey looks like.
1: Yes, and part of the reason I like this chapter so much is because journey mapping can also be used in content creation for <laughs> marketing, uh, for your sales process, obviously for your uh, customer service. I just want to mention what the there's only four steps: create customer personas. You know that's it's one of my favorite. Topics anyway, and the number two is identify the touch points. Okay, but it's not just about touch points, as we talked about earlier. Step three is identify needs and expectations, and you can go pretty deep there. And the fourth one is identify the pain points. Uh, again, and the book has got it's very very specific about the the kind of things that are are in this journey map. But it's a great a great start. Let's just move on to a couple other things uh, in the in the book. That's about um, processes. And you write, um, I think it was on page 130 for those playing the home game, you talk about there's there's little use exhorting employees to improve customer experiences without making improvements to the the processes. And what was very interesting to me is you write that customer-centric organizations spend proportionately more time designing processes and proportionately less time getting better at appeasing unhappy customers. So talk about this. um, Actually, just let me add one other thing. You talk about how um, you often hear executives comment that they wish their organizations had Amazon.com's technology capabilities. And you write, what they are really longing for is Amazon's processes. I believe it's safe to say that there are few technology capabilities Amazon has that others don't also have access to. But what they're secretly longing for are the processes. Talk talk about the importance of looking at and adjusting your processes. And I guess do you see a lot of companies that just try to keep their processes like they are and, and are wishing for better customer experience?
0: Uh unfortunately, yes, too too many. And this is such a such a big opportunity for for anybody. Um, the, the process is almost always where the leverage is. So, I mean, your experience with the missing product, um, Amazon—they're—they're they're smart enough; they'll—they'll they'll figure out a way to address that if it happens in in, in any kind of number at all. Um, there, you're—you're going to see a way to, you know, resolve that more easily next time. But it's the process. The technologies are are there. They're they're available even to the smallest organizations now. You can through cloud based services, you can get the latest and greatest. But it's how we're using them. And just a just a quick story. And this sounds like the the old pre COVID world, but it was actually fairly recently. I had a bag go missing, and um, trying to trying to find the bag and. I finally got through to someone who could help me, but but it was this process. I won't I won't bore you with all, all the steps that had to happen to get to the right person. And she was terrific. After the um, conversation with her, and 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 I was I was kind of on a multi-city trip, so getting the bag from one place to the next, and I always go check on I, I'm. <laughs> I, I didn't this time. That was bad on me, but there are times we have to check the bag, right? So she she was very helpful, and I um, got a survey immediately following that interaction. You know, would you hire this person? And, and it's a very clever survey question. The answer for me was yes, but they're not learning about the process. So there was nothing on um, how did this happen and how how can we – make it easier for you next time so processes are, are are and you can imagine a lot of customers finally getting through to someone and just unloading on them and they're the one person who can help at that point so processes are where the leverage is and the better we get at understanding processes uh, and and creating um, more effective support and um, elegance and you know Eliminating steps that don't need to be there, all the things you do with process um, improvement—that's the whole quality movement. uh, That we're going to we're going to see the results in customer experience. Well, let's move
1: on and and talk about customer advocacy. I mean, we always we always hear about this, and I want to quote from page one fifty one. You write, "In recent years, customer advocacy has been a hot topic in marketing and." customer service circles, it's getting even more attention following the economic upheavals of 2020 and 2021. But if you do a search on the term, you'll find two very different definitions. One is an internal perspective, focusing the organization on what's best for customers, creating great customer experiences, advocating for them and helping them resolve problems. This is the prevailing view in customer service and operations circles. The other is an external perspective, defining customer advocacy in terms of customers who advocate for you, spreading the word about your products, services, and brand. This perspective is common among those in marketing and sales. So, Brad Cleveland, which one is correct?
0: <laughs> they're both correct, or they're both half right. We We need to put them together, so... So I define advocacy as the actions you take to focus the organization on what's best for cons- for customers. Mm-hmm. That in turn rewards you with loyal customers who advocate for your products and brand, and and marketing um, th- those in marketing circles will will um, relate readily to. We we want to create advocates. We want to recognize them. Yes. We want to celebrate them. They're more believable than an ad you can buy. Absolutely. But we need the internal side working for us. And the internal side needs to know, look, we, we do a great job, but we want to we want to recognize and, and celebrate and, and encourage customers to be advocates for us. So we have to have both of these definitions at work.
1: Right. So I, th- I think, if I had to guess, there are a lot of companies that may have a blind side. They don't realize the internal uh, perspective as, as easily as they do the the external or maybe, or, or maybe That's the right. They,
0: they tend to gravitate to one or the other. When you've got both in place, it's so powerful. You've got internal goals and objectives and metrics and processes that really are focused on creating great experiences for customers. And then you've got the, um, the, the, the processes in place to understand who our advocates are and, and encourage that, celebrate them, acknowledge them, You know, really create that fan base. We, we really need both.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, you've got a whole, another chapter, entire chapter on innovation, which is very important. And I've actually had two books on the show in years past about just that one topic. And we won't have time to go into this, but I wanted to quote from page 171, where you write, Innovation, the late Peter Drucker points out in his landmark book, The Discipline of Innovation, is the effort to create purposeful focused change in an enterprise's economic or social potential. He adds that it's different than other disciplines. You hire accountants for accounting, marketers for marketing, and lawyers for your legal department. But where are your innovators? Your employees! <laughs> Innovation comes not from genius or exceptional talent, Drucker says, but from a conscious, purposeful search for innovative opportunities, and I just wanted to mention that because there is a whole chapter about how uh, you know this is like a, an afterburner or a, a turbo charge. <laughs> if you can then start to innovate uh, again, it's like you said at the top of the interview. It this it it creates this surging high tide that lifts all boats uh, in terms of, of innovation. But let's talk now, and as we start to wrap up about six packs, okay. And I'm not talking about beer or my abs. Hey, I, I can dream, can I? Okay, uh, I want to quote from page 191. I love this. This is the last thing we're going to talk about. But she wrote Before I learned to fly, I wondered how pilots kept track of all the variables involved in flight. I've since learned that there are six flight characteristics that are most important. Be it a biplane from the 1920s, a small modern plane, such as those iFly, or the supersonic Concorde, which, as I mentioned earlier, Brad Cleveland flew on. Six indicators <laughs> reflecting each of these dynamics form the primary flight instruments. They are referred to as the six-pack. And a quick scan of them provides the pilot with information on, here they are, aircraft speed... Altitude, climb or descent, attitude meaning angle, heading and turning and banking. The key, and this is essential, is to interpret them together. For example, the plane you're piloting might be flying very fast. That's generally a good thing. But if you're in a dive, that adds context to why you're moving along so quickly. Speed, turn, climb, and the others, they make sense only as they are interpreted together. So Brad Cleveland, can you talk about the the customer experience six-pack?
0: Yeah, there, there are six things that we have to have. Front and center, like a pilot would, uh, with, with those instruments.
1: But let me just let me interrupt one last time. You talked about how some companies have a parking lot of reports
0: about all yeah. the data, but here
1: you boiled it down into these six. And just not not that you mentioned this in the book, but I thought you know these are great discovery questions for a salesperson to mm, yeah. to ask to ask about, or at least I'm gonna I'm gonna be stealing them with full attribution there, don't uh,
0: worry. Well, I appreciate I appreciate you saying that and I'm as guilty as the next person about wanting wouldn't it be great if we had a report on this or wouldn't it be great if we had informa- if we sure. were tracking that yeah. Um, and we add and we add and we add and we forget to go back and you know it's like the garage it uh, after a while it's just stuff full of things that we need to we, we can't get to any of it so it doesn't matter anyway so so we've got a got a clean house and these six areas anything outside of these six areas should be suspect um have these in place and and there are, there are other things you'll need to look at um uh, but but if you've got a good read on these six things you're you're gonna have a really good understanding of, especially if you trend them you're gonna have a really good understanding of how things are going and and they're gonna probably sound pretty simple. One is demand. What's the demand for your products and services? You know, think of a restaurant. Think of a, well, the whole supply chain. Think of anybody right now. Um, just what? what's the demand for for the services and products that we're, uh, that, that we're offering to the market? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or I say market. We can be government. This applies to anybody. Um, so demand. Supply, what... What are we needing? What do we have? What, where are the gaps in terms of matching that demand with, with the right supply? And that's been really cattywampus in a lot of organizations. Technical term there, cattywampus. I think, was, <laughs> I think that's, that's an Annie Cleveland, my, my mom ter- term. Oh. Um, and <laughs> I you, used it for years. And we but should add
1: that you dedicated your book to your mom, Annie.
0: Oh, I did. She's just the best in the world. And I, I did not include that term in the glossary. I <laughs> okay. <wound up. laughs> well, you know, there's always,
1: uh, you know, edition number two. So right. start thinking <laughs> Second ahead. edition.
0: Yeah. So demand, uh, demand, supply, quality. You know, we're not just supplying goods and, and services, but what's the quality of, of those goods and services?
1: And let me add, you say quality cannot be assessed in isolation. It will always have some impact on supply and demand, but also uh, competition. And the thing I wrote in the margin, uh, does that include like, people's perception
0: of your quality? Absolutely. With services, their perception is largely how we would measure that. Uh-huh. You know, are we meeting and exceeding, meeting at least, and, and sometimes even exceeding their expectations? Um, and that would be a, a central gauge of, of how we assess quality in a, in a service setting employee engagement is a fourth of the of the six big areas yeah Uh, we learned so much there um how's it going what are they seeing um what what would they do if they could snap their fingers to create a better you know experience for them a better experience for our customers what what do they love about what's going right it's just such a rich resource Customer uh, satisfaction is of course, and however we'd measure that, net promoter score, customer satisfaction, or customer effort, or
1: yeah, um, CES customer yeah. effort score. That's one I, I didn't know, but it's not the Consumer Electronics Show, CES. But it was th- those were very interesting uh, measurements as well, and some of these are going to be more familiar with folks. And this, I, I lament that this may be the only thing that some companies are looking at, and and even uh doing that kind of marginally
0: yeah and where that's happening it's a great opportunity for us Mm -hmm. we we've really got a way to put put what's important you know front and center and innovation is the sixth of the of the um six big areas of focus and we need a way to measure that are we are we innovating are we are we adapting constantly uh finding new and better ways to do things. And that has to involve everybody. It has to be intentional and it has to be celebrated. And no, it doesn't take more resources. It's using the resources we have, um, we already have in place and especially our employees across the organization to be a part of this and they, and and they really tap into their insight.
1: Yeah. And just to, mix things up a bit. The innovation, in my experience, has a lot more to do with process than trying to catch lightning in a bottle. It's like creativity is much more of a process than, than people realize. And I think the same with innovation. So,
0: There's a small restaurant that I, I enjoy that their their owner has every employee at the end of every shift just put one idea on an index card. You have to do it. Um, one oh. thing that, and it can be, it can be a good thing, something that's going well, good comment. It can be something that, you know, if we if we move the ice box in the corner of the of the kitchen four feet that way, I wouldn't bump into it every time. You know, just small things, big things, and and creating a system wide, a, a process wide, an organization wide approach to that in the largest organizations uh, creates so much um, input. That it's, it's so powerful. Mm. So we're really, we're asking our customers, we're asking our employees to be a part of this innovation process. And it's fun and they love it. And it's it's uh, something that's very powerful.
1: Oh, that's a great idea. And they know they're going to have to do that at the end of their shift. So they're always uh, looking for it. Yeah, it gives you all yeah, kinds if you're,
0: of are yeah, yeah, and if you're, if you're a larger organization, you're thinking, well, you, you have to have systems to, to help with that. Yep.
1: But um, even that restaurant has a system.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, manual, it's simple index cards, but it works really well. Yeah. yeah. Well, Brad Cleveland, if readers took only
1: one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be?
0: I would hope that they see customer experience as a journey and one that's unique to their organization. You know, I'll often hear leaders say, oh, I wish we were more like You know, Emirates Airways or Amazon or or, – Or Ritz-Carlton. (laughs) Ritz-Carlton, right. Harley-Davidson, name name a company. I wish we were more like them.
1: Oh, and in fact, in the book, you say, we want to be the apple of fill in the blank. And it may not even make sense, but
0: (laughs) – Right, and it just gets – it creates cynics. So – Customer experience is a unique journey. Make it yours and connect with your customers in a way that uniquely reflects your brand. Mm-hmm. But don't wing it. You know, put a, put a process in place that helps you create and sustain great experiences. It's, it's something that you have to be intentional with.
1: Mm. All right. Let's have some fun. What is one thing a listener can do today to put in action one of the many ideas from your book or, or, or one that we've talked about?
0: I would jump to chapter three and brainstorm all the ways you can listen to customers and you don't even have to read chapter three to do this you can do it right now but grab a few colleagues if you'd like and just you know around a around a chalkboard or whiteboard or something if you're virtual figure out some way to share a doc what are all the ways you can listen to your customers so there's surveys there's social posts there's products and service reviews there's employee input there's just uh, serendipity you know talking with some customers herb kelleher the late um, founder and ceo of southwest he he spent a lot of time wandering around in airports and flying and just talking to different ones and he learned so much you know emily weiss who's founder of glossier um, she makes that a top priority even as the organization's grown tremendously Um, she spends a fair amount of her time she's very intentional about looking at what what customers are saying and and so um i i would start there just and it's it's fun it, it can be overwhelming if you're like well we're not doing this and this and that but that's the next step how do you create a a process that's effective and it funnels that into a um into an approach that you can use going forward to really listen
1: that's great advice i can't tell you how many books that's been the linchpin of success just go talk to your customers <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it seems to be such a struggle for companies to do and just a pro tip, don't go to them and say what should we do with our product? <laughs> Instead, just talk to them, find out what their frustrations were or what their uh latent anxieties and desires are. That type of thing. So great great advice. So Brad, what books have most inspired your working career looking back?
0: That's a fun question. And and there were two that immediately jumped to mind in my formative um, days and why I, I realized how much I've got to, ha, have to learn um, every day. So um, the, 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 these books back in the beginning were, were so formative mm-hmm. um, and, and one I'm sure has been mentioned by by others in the marketing and customer experience space, but Moments of Truth uh, by Jan Carlson, uh, former CEO of Scandinavian Airways. Um, came out in the mid-80s, I devoured it. And he used examples like, well, if a customer gets on a, a plane and folds down the tray and there's a coffee stain, they're going to wonder if that's how we maintain our engines. So um, they we, we conflate things as customers. We connect dots that maybe aren't entirely fair, but everything adds up to an experience. So there was that. There was... Um, uh, uh, w. Edward Deming's book, Out of the Crisis, almost almost slipped my mind what the title was. And I, I had a chance to meet him one time yes. in the early 90s. And
1: I almost mentioned that in Interesting Facts about Craig Cleveland. Just a Craig fascinating, fascinating yes. yeah,
0: just the g- grandfather of the quality movement and, yes. and a conversation that I'll never forget. But um, how do you put a, a real tangible approach in place so that your quality, your services, your customer experience though he wasn't using that term back then, but everything works together. So it's that real focus on process. So, so those were two formative books. Well, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? You know, there are two that aren't in the customer experience or marketing genre, not even in the business genre, and if that's, if that's uh, fair and in play. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, one is Gentleman in Moscow by Amar Tolls, and that came out four or five years ago. And his most recent book was, I, I think it came out this year, but it's, it's fairly recent, is uh, The Lincoln Highway. And his writing is so, ex- and, and this is historical fiction, his writing is so exquisite and the, the descriptions of everyday, ordinary things are so vivid. And I find that inspirational. You know, as we focus on marketing or customer experience, um, just recognizing the extraordinary world around us and, and helping put that into, into words as we want to communicate messaging and get others on board. I, I just found, you know, even even though they're not directly on the, the topic at hand, they're they're so inspirational.
1: Yes. Well, also, reading fiction – is really good for your brain. And it'll make reading other books uh, that much better. So these are looks really, really interesting. Well, thanks. You just added to my reading list. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean that in a good way. So well, at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to everything linkable, including uh, the books you've mentioned, uh, your website, your LinkedIn profile, your Twitter account. And To the listener, I would like to ask for a big favor, and I'm not asking for a five-star review on iTunes, although if you do want to give me one, I will send you a marketing book podcast sticker. I'm not asking you to send me a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon, although you can do that too. What I would really like you to do is reach out to Brad Cleveland and thank him for being a guest. This is a terrific book. Uh, I, I hope it's not his last, and when he comes out with another book, he's going to be Reevaluating which podcast he should be on, and I hope that he will come back to this one. But it really, the, <laughs> the guests really enjoy hearing uh, from Marketing Book podcast listeners. So if you have a question, or even if it's just to say, "Hey, thanks for putting up with that guy's really stupid jokes," uh, your your book looks really interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow you. Please, <laughs> please do that. And if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. The book is Leading the Customer Experience, How to Chart a Course and Deliver Outstanding Results. The author is Brad Cleveland. Brad, thank you very much for
0: joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. You are so welcome, Douglas. And this has been such a privilege. I I love the podcast. I've been through a number of them and I, I always learn so much. And thank you. Thanks for the work you're doing and thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Thank you.
1: And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. And remember the words of the entrepreneur and author Jim Rohn, who said, formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.